Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Have any of you been uh, getting bombarded with uh, some text messages, uh, emails, TV ads, postcards, other mailings lately? telling you who you should or shouldn't vote for in the elections you know, that are going to take place in local and state and national levels. I, I have. So have any of you been getting bombarded with any similar messages uh, regarding uh, who you should vote for at our next congregational meeting? <laughs> Didn't think so. There's a reason it should be that way. Uh, God's Word gives us some guidelines on, on who should serve in leadership in His church, and it doesn't mention any of our names, but it, but it does put the responsibility on each one of us to be careful and, and discerning about uh, who we ask to lead us. And, and last week I mentioned that it's appropriate to pray for order and harmony in the congregation, and we looked in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and, and it focused some on roles of men and women and, in a congregational worship setting. Today, as we go on in chapter 3, it, it addresses the issue of um, who we should appoint to serve in various positions of leadership in a congregation, and, and that too should be a matter of prayer. And so I encourage you to pray for the nominating committee, and I, I think they've largely done their job at this point, um, approaching different individuals and asking them to consider putting their name on the ballot to serve. Um, pray for those that they approach, and, and then also, if you're a member here and you are part of that voting process, then pray about how to vote. And I don't anticipate any politicking going on here in this area. Uh, and that's as it should be. Uh, we, we trust ultimately the process is in God's hands and, and, and there's room for and there's need for really all of us to serve in some way, uh, whether to elected positions or to volunteer roles. Uh, we're all called to serve and to, to minister to each other in the fellowship that makes up the Christian congregation. I invite you to look with me then at 1 Timothy chapter 3 today. As, as we learn from the Apostle Paul's words to Timothy about selection of leadership in a congregation. And invite you to stand in reverence to God's word as we read. <clears throat> the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity given his children, or keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy or dishonest for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, not sober, or, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. 
Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household well. For those who serve well as deacons, gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Lord God, as we meditate on these verses today and as we think of our own congregation and uh, each one of us in, in our own personal lives, uh, we pray that you would help us to understand and apply uh, what your word tells us uh, in, in these qualifications for leadership and really in, in this that we set before us each then as, as goals in how we live our lives. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. There are a variety of terms that are mentioned in, in the text and elsewhere in the New Testament uh, for those that serve as leaders in the Christian congregation. And, and maybe it's a little confusing sometimes for some of us if we try to line up those uh, descriptions with uh, leaders in our congregations today. But I think maybe some background, um, understanding where those terms come from can be a helpful start. And so I'd like us to do that at this time. First of all, there's this term pastor. Um, on the screen there is also the Greek word poimen. That it means literally a shepherd of the flock. And, and that's a word that, that Jesus himself and both Peter and Paul in their letters in the New Testament um, used. Uh, and, and really, as we go even back to the Old Testament, we see God's people are described as wandering sheep that need a shepherd. And in the Gospels, we see then Jesus describing himself as the good shepherd. Um, and uh, he lays down his life for the sheep. And before Jesus ascended to heaven, he commissioned Peter with the words, Feed my sheep. And Peter later describes himself and, and other leaders as under-shepherds, under the good shepherd. And that's really the ongoing role of a pastor, to be a shepherd in that way. The next word is, is teacher, didaskalos in the Greek. It means simply one who teaches. And uh, according to Ephesians 4, pastors are given a, a dual role of both shepherding the flock and teaching them God's word. Others, too, are called to teach. This isn't limited only to pastors. Then there's a word overseer. Uh, episkopos in the Greek, one who oversees. And the word episcopal comes from that writ word, uh, which derives from the Greek culture uh, and was used to describe leaders in civic affairs, overseers. And then there's the word elder, presbyteros in the Greek. And the word presbyterian comes from that word. And that traces back really to Jewish tradition and references then older respected men that were at the gate of the city or in the synagogues. They were the elders. Well, in, in the New Testament, the terms overseer and elder seem fairly interchangeable since sometimes they're both used in the same sentence to describe the same role. That seems to be the role that we usually associate with a pastor today. And so if you put that all together so far here then, it comes down to this, a, a pastor is a shepherd of a flock of people that are entrusted um, to his care. Uh, he teaches them God's word, he has oversight responsibilities, and he's to be a respected leader. And that is a lot of expectation put on any one person. And I don't know any pastor that doesn't feel inadequate to be and to do all that might fall under those descriptions. But it also <clears throat> seems to me that as we look in the New Testament, uh, we see that New Testament congregations often had several elders in each congregation. 
in Paul's letter to Titus. There's a similar description list um, to what we've read here today. <clears throat> and there it says, <coughs> excuse me, um, Paul starts out by saying, this is why I left you in Crete, Titus, so that you might put, together, put in order what remained and appoint elders, plural, in every town as I directed you. Well, there's another term mentioned here uh, that's more familiar probably in our congregation, and that's the term deacon, uh, diaconus. Now, if you follow the pattern of what we've said so far, what does a deacon do? He deeks, right? Um, but that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us in English. Um, so let me explain. Jesus described his role to his disciples as, I am among you as one who serves. And that's the same root word. What a deacon literally is, is one who serves or who ministers to others. Well, as we look in our text here, verses 8 to 12, uh, use the word deacon to describe this role, and it is a role separate from that of the elder or overseer, um, but it's a leadership role, has some of the same qualifications, but not all of them, uh, of that of the elder or overseer. <clears throat> and it's not absolutely clear to us uh, what the duties of New Testament deacons were. It, it seems likely it traces back to what we see in Acts chapter 6, where um, there were additional leaders recruited um, or appointed by the congregation to serve because there had been uh, neglect of, of the Greek widows um, as the congregation had expanded. And so they appointed um, seven men to serve. Uh, it, it quite likely traces back to that. There are other places in the New Testament that it mentions that our deacons are, are really assistants to the overseers. And here in verse 8, our text describes the importance of them holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And, and it suggests then really that they need to be confident in what they believe, solid in their doctrine, and at times might need to teach it as well. There's one other uh, word mentioned here in the text here, or term uh, for people there, and that's their wives. At least that's the way some translations word it. Others uh, say deaconess. And really the root word there is, it's a gunaikos. In, in the Greek, it can mean either wife or woman. And so both would make sense here. Uh, it wouldn't be unusual for the wife of a deacon to end up being looked to for leadership at times. Uh, and we have an example, for instance, in the New Testament of Priscilla and Aquila, a couple that served side by side ministering in a small congregation that met in their home. <coughs> Excuse me, we also have an example in, in Romans chapter 16 of somebody named Phoebe, who uh, some translations uh, say she was a servant of the congregation, others use the word deaconess in the, in the English, but it's, it's the same root word there. Some of our AFLC congregations um, have deaconesses that serve alongside the deacons, ministering in special roles uh, with women and with the sick and so on. Well, let's go on to considering some qualifications for congregational leadership uh, in those roles and in some others. But maybe at this point, you're, you're thinking, <clears throat> well, what if I don't ever want to be a leader? Is, is this really relevant to me? Or, or if you're of the female gender, you can't serve as a pastor in the FLC, and, and a lot of our congregations don't have deaconesses, so is there really any reason you need to learn this stuff? Well, yes, there is, because you still are a part of the process of selecting leaders, both pastors and board members and so on in our congregation. And, and yes, also because God might call you to be a leader in some way, e even if you don't ever plan to be or want to be at this point. Um, he called me, and that wasn't my plan. Um, also, if, if you stick around long enough here, um, 
and you're faithful to serve in, in other ways, it's, it's likely at some point you'll be asked to lead in something. And, and a further reason as well to pay attention to these qualifications is, is that many of these traits <clears throat> ought to really be the goal for all of us as maturing Christians. Gene Getz wrote a book uh, titled The Measure of a Man where he walks through these uh, 20 different qualifications. Uh, so he has 20 different chapters on this. <clears throat> and I've used that sometimes as a discipleship tool with some of our men in our congregation in the past. Uh, so there's the list. Now, some of you are maybe getting a little nervous at this point, thinking, Pastor, if you are going to go through 20 of them one at a time, we could be here for a while. Um, I'm not going to do that. Um, I see five general categories here that I think can help us to grasp God's plan for congregational leaders. But before I mention them, uh, let me just say also this, that <clears throat> not all who desire to be leaders are qualified to be leaders. Because that's what we were told in, in chapter 1. Um, Paul, writing to Timothy, said about the congregation there at Ephesus. There were some that were wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they didn't understand the law, um, or the matters that they were making confident assertions about. So not all are, who desire to lead are qualified. <clears throat> Excuse me. So let's look at those five general categories here then today. I'm going ahead of myself. Well, I'm going to leave that up there because I'll re reference it back here. But first of all, um, I see some cautions expressed. If you look at verse 6, it says he must not be a recent convert. And it goes on to explain why. Or he might become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. You know, the devil's pride issue got him kicked out of heaven and heading for hell. Pride is a danger for any leader. But, but especially, it's telling us here, if he's elevated too early. He tends, up, he tends to then start thinking higher of himself than he ought to think, focused on how great he is rather than how great God is. And it also tells us here, verse 10, concerning deacons, let them also be tested first. Now, how do you test them? Well, you give them opportunities to serve in some way and see if they're faithful in the little things before putting them in charge of bigger things. That's a scriptural principle. Well, second, I see the importance then of godly personal character. And I don't know if you can read the small print on that there, but if, if you look up there at this chart, uh, you, you see that the majority of the qualifications fall under the category of godly personal character. Verse 2, above reproach. And, and that doesn't mean perfect. Uh, it, it means not having glaring inconsistencies in their life. And then it goes on to temperate and self-controlled and respectable. That is, all of them are talking about him directing himself before he directs others. Verse 3, not a drunkard, not violent, not quarrelsome. You see, part of that self-mastery is being able to limit his drinking and his arguing and hold back from striking somebody. And then verse 3 goes on to also say, not a lover of money. That is being able to control his spending and his drivenness to gain wealth. And, and in verse 8 it tells us there are similar things regarding that a deacon, not to be greedy for dishonest gain. There's a story about uh, Farmer Jones. Farmer Jones uh, lived out in the country all alone except for his dog. And when his best friend died, he went to the local uh, Lutheran pastor 
And he asked, could you possibly have a funeral service for my dog? Well, a pastor told him, well, sorry, but we really can't have services for an animal in the church. Uh, you know, there is a non-denominational church that started down the road, and who knows what they believe in. Uh, you, you could maybe go there and see if they'd do something for your dog. Farmer Jones says, well, okay, I'll, I'll go there right away. Oh, by the way, do you think $50,000 is enough for a good service? Pastor replied, well, wait a minute, you didn't tell me your dog was Lutheran. We laugh, but hopefully you get the point. It's disheartening enough to see politicians that are out to get rich and will take bribes for, from special interest groups, but we certainly don't want to allow God's church to be run that way. Godly personal character is essential for a good leader, and it's, and it's even more important than outward skills. And we can think of dynamic personalities that could wow a crowd with their speaking abilities, that later fell from grace because they were lacking personal integrity in financial area or sexual area or something. Well, third, I do see some of the qualifications here, though, do have to do with leadership abilities. And, and there you see the category underlying their leadership functions. Um, really, only two are mentioned here. Uh, one of them is being hospitable. Uh, and, and that word literally means a, a love for strangers, uh, being able to welcome people that you don't even know, hospitality at the church or in the home that's so important for a leader and then the other leadership ability mentioned here is able to teach and that one can be learned over time but but it is essential for anyone who would serve as a pastor to be able to teach Titus um, has this explanation regarding that an elder or overseer must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also refute those who contradict it. And then there's a fourth general category of leadership qualifications here, and that is a leadership example in the home. Verse 2 says, concerning elders, uh, the husband of one wife. Verse 4 goes on to mention, he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And in verse 12, there's some similar explanations in this area regarding deacons. Well, a couple things relating to this. That, that terminology, husband of one wife, how are, we, how are we to understand that one? Well, first, the obvious. Paul is not requiring that all pastors and teachers be currently married, nor that all deacons would be. Uh, Paul himself was not married when he wrote this. Likely, he was never married. And, and, and this verse Though would, however, say that Catholics are wrong in requiring celibacy of their clergy because marriage of overseers and elders is certainly encouraged here. It says husband of one wife. That, that is marriage to one wife, which rules out marriage of two husbands or gay marriage. It also rules out polygamy. Um, it can't rule out, though, remarriage after being widowed, since elsewhere in Scripture that is certainly welcomed. But it might be understood to restrict leaders at this level from divorce and remarriage. And there are varieties of angles to look at on this one. It's a challenging thing to sort out. Um, and our denomination has taken a, a more cautious stance on that one, and, and uh, we do not have divorced and remarried men serving on the clergy roster and some of our congregations don't have them serve as deacons. 
There's another aspect of family life that's referenced here, and that's parenting. And, and we, there it says, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. And I, I know of no pastors or deacons who have been perfect parents. And, and certainly not your current head pastor, just ask his kids. God works in spite of our failures as parents, but, but if there are glaring issues in the home, and if his kids are out of control, then that will certainly hinder his reputation and ministry to others. And fifth and last, a, a leader in a congregation ought to have a good reputation outside of the church. Verse 7, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into the snare of the devil. And, and there have been many in church leadership in the last decade who have fallen into disgrace. And the devil and their own flesh have tripped them up and, and their disgrace has hindered the work of God's kingdom. Well, as we look at this list of qualifications for leaders in the Christian congregation, none of us measure up completely, do we? So does that mean we should just close the doors in and give up? No, it means we still hold these standards high and we look for humble men and women who will seek to live according to these standards and who will repent when they fail and then go on. I think it's good that we recognize, though, that, that leadership is not for the weak of heart. And it puts you on the firing line sometimes and open to criticism at every turn. And so you might think, well, who's crazy enough to want to lead anything? And particularly, why become a leader in, in a congregation? Well, as we come to a close here today, I, I see four things. Now, this is stalling out. Could I just advance that? There you go. Um, four things here. First of all, why become a leader in a congregation? It is a noble task, verse 1 tells us. And, and what could be more noble than to sacrificially serve other people and especially also serve the Lord of the universe? Also, it gives good standing for yourself and the respect of people around you is certainly an admirable thing to attain. Also, it tells us here in verse 13, you gain great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And, and how is it that that happens? Well, I have found that if you get to teach a subject, you do far more studying in that subject, unless you learn a whole lot more. And, and your confidence grows concerning the things you study. And, and so time in the Word of God strengthens our faith in Jesus and, and makes us bolder to want to point others to Him. And, and that brings me to one additional thing I think of as to why I become a leader in a Christian congregation. And that is because eternal destinies of people that we care about are at stake. People need to come to know their sin and need for a Savior and then be introduced to him, to Jesus Christ. And what could be more worthwhile than leading a congregation of people whose mission is to bring with them as many as possible to heaven someday? End with a picture here today. You want to just dim the light again for that? Bethesda Lutheran Congregation in Mizpah celebrated 100 years. Uh, the one picture shows Dean. He's a fourth generation leader in the congregation. His daughter is playing guitar as we sang some choruses together in worship yesterday. It's a very simple church building there. Um, they do not have running water in this building. Um, there are about 10 to 25 people that, that come on an average Sunday. Um, 
they put in a new outhouse in the back for their 100th anniversary celebration and it has heat in it. I'm serious. Um, Dean's dad was the president of the congregation when I served there and, and died of a fast-acting cancer during that time. And, and Dean ended up getting the job of president of the congregation. He served in that capacity many of the years since then. He shared yesterday, <clears throat> our work's not done yet. And he and others are convinced they still have a mission to fulfill. They're the only church in that little town. Also, yesterday I, I, I saw Luke. I haven't seen Luke in 26 years, probably. And uh, Luke was one of my confirmation kids that struggled to memorize anything. And uh, that was really a challenge for him. I wondered just how is life going to go for him. Today, he is back in his home area. He's married and has four little kids. And he's also one of the leaders in that congregation. Our work isn't done yet either. And there are people all around us that need to know Jesus. And we have the privilege of working together to help make that happen. And we need leaders that are willing to lead the charge in that. And we are thankful for the leaders that God has called over the years. May he continue to do so. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, that you are faithful to uh, build up your church. Thank you for the years that we've had here. A lot less than 100, but 35 years, Lord, where you have called people to serve and to lead in all kinds of different ways. And uh, Lord, your word focused especially on the role of pastor and deacon, but it, it applies to all of us as we consider the qualifications and, and the, the goals of how we would live and, and our personal character that would grow. And so we pray that you would be at work in each of our hearts and lives, that, that we would live consistent with what we say we believe, and that the result would be that others would see the difference you make in our lives and it would be pointed to, to the hope that we have in Jesus. Uh, we pray in his name. Amen.